prayed. Yes, it says, um, Dr. Cusco. And this time we'll go till what time? Uh, 10.30 is when we need to be done here. Great. Uh, you can, now we, well, 10, say 10.30, but like, we can be gracious to 10.40. Okay. Um, good morning, you guys. Uh, let's, um, um, we probably don't need this. Do you think we could, you want to just turn this off? I think we could hear, I kind of feel like, um, well, anyway, let's, um, let me pray for us and then we'll, uh, and then we'll get started. Father, um, we thank you for this morning. You've given us a, a day of Sabbath, a day of, of, of rest and worship and delight. Um, Father, you know all of us in this room and all of us are concerned about our kids and sometimes feel guilty about the way we parent, sometimes feel guilty about wondering if what we're doing is the right thing. Would you give us grace and truth today as we think through this wild task that you've offered and given us the, da- the dance of terror and privilege of parenting. So be with us now as we chat about this, if you would, and then with the worship service later, we pray that you would be glorified um, in great ways. We pray in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, real quick, just to, the, the reason I think God is so into parenting um, the reason God takes parenting seriously um, is, is because the questions that a kid is asking are ultimately theological questions. Um, the biggest theological issues in church are not really addressed in the pulpit. They're addressed in the nursery. Because here's what happens. Somebody comes in with a new baby, and they give the baby to the nursery person. And I don't know who your nursery person is here, so I'm just guessing what it might be like. And they give that child to the nursery and they say something like, if, she need, if our baby needs us, we'll be sitting in a certain row and come get us. And then after the service, they come in and their baby's been crying the whole time. They say, why didn't you come get us? And they say, oh, they just need to cry it out. And that's a big theological question because the question is, do my kids need nurture or do my kids need structure? And the reason that's a theological question is basically that's the question in a different language that we ask about the nature of God. Is God just and holy and righteous? Is God gracious, merciful, and forgiving and loving? And we're essentially asking, the question of a human soul is to figure out the very nature of God. And and so... Um, and, and so the idea that, that all of us are asking is what's the nature of God? Is God holy and righteous? Is God gracious and merciful? Kids ask that question from the moment they're born. Kids are always asking two questions. Do you love me? And will you say no to me? Or do you love me and will you provide structure for me? Those are the two questions every kid's asking age appropriately their entire life. Um, Am I loved? And am I, um, are there consequences for my behavior? And that's ultimately a theological question. And that's why God is so serious about us answering that, those questions well. Because the way, you're the tallest tree in the forest when it comes to your kids' understanding of God. And you're the tallest tree in their forest when it comes to understanding masculinity and femininity. You're the tallest tree in their forest when it comes to kind of understanding authority. And, but most of all, when it comes to understanding who God is. And so God takes it very seriously. The shadow that you, that you, um, 
that, that, that is cast by, your, uh, by the way you parent, uh, because it says those things about theological questions. Now, here's, here's what's kind of interesting. I've never met somebody in theological circles that's too legalistic that says they're legalistic. I've never met somebody in theological circles that's too liberal that says they're too liberal. And I've rarely met parents who've said, we're too lax with our kids, or parents who say, we're too structured with our kids. We're not very good at judging it. Um, if you ask most churches, how do you do with the balance between God is righteous and holy, that's true he is, and God is merciful and gracious, true that he is, and, and you to say that, that we're invited to live in the tension of both of those truths as a church. If you were to ask most churches how they'd fall on that, most churches would say, we do fine, we're right in the middle, we, we, have the ten, we, we do that throughout. Well, the research would say that that's not true. The research would say about 20% of churches kind of live faithfully with the balance of both of those truths. And that most churches are kind of leaning one way or the other almost all the time. And you know that's true. You've been to a church before that, you know, that, that they think they're right, but they're, you can just, when you sit in the room, you go, oh, they are into righteous and holy a whole lot more than they are into grace and, and mercy. And you've been to some churches where you go, oh, my goodness, um, I don't think they even think God ever says no. But if you were to ask them, they would say, we're fine. And so what I'd love for you to do as you kind of think about parenting is think about where you land. Um, because before I recommend any parenting material to anybody, I try to see where they fall. Like I'll get somebody to call me up. I, I get calls. I'm, I'm a psychologist. I work at a, a, at a seminary. And so I'll get these phone calls, random phone calls late and say, our kid was just picked up for DUI. What should we do? And I, and I, I don't know you. I don't know your family. I, I don't know what you should do. But what I usually say is, what are you inclined to do? And they'll usually say something like, we just want to leave them in the jail until they rot. <laughs> well, chances are that person, as a parent, falls on the side of justice and righteousness. And so what I say to that person is, why don't you go pick that kid up as quick as you can? And the parent that calls me, and this is the more common one, at least in Orlando, and calls me and says, our kid's been picked up. Which, and I say, what do you, what do you tend to do? And they say, well, we've already hired a lawyer. I can't believe they've targeted teenagers. And, um, and we're, we're going to get them out as quick as we can. And to that parent, I say, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea to leave them in there for a day. <laughs> because, because what I'm wanting is parents to live in the tension of both of the questions that kids are asking. Remember, every kid is asking that theological question. Is, is authority uh, just? Are there consequences of my behavior? And do you love me? Is there grace for me? Is there nurture for me? So kids need both structure and nurture. And, and you need to decide where you fall. Now, here's what I found that the families that tend to be structure-oriented, what they do is they find other people that are structure-oriented, and they find all the books about structure-oriented parenting, and they get together in circles and talk about how everybody else is going to raise you know, wild animals, and they, they get together and they talk about, you know, we, don't let our kids be inconvenient for us. We need, a, we need structure. We need to make, make sure they're on a schedule, make sure they're doing this. And that's what they're doing, and they're finding other people to kind of and, it, it, and they're getting all their information in kind of an echo chamber. And then 
the people on this side, they find parents that are talking about attachment is the only thing that matters and attach, 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 and all we do is attach and, and don't say no, don't say no for the first three years of their lives and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And they're finding parents that agree with them and say, this is what's right. And they're going, oh, they're going to raise compulsive compliant kids that are going to blow up when they're 22. And, and they're talking and, they're saying, and, and somehow churches kind of create parent groups like that. Because there's usually a pretty vocal, probably pretty good parent. And by the way, we give parents too much credit when their kids turn out okay and too much blame when their kids don't. Because there are missionary kids who become drug addicts and drug addicts kids who become missionaries. I don't completely understand the whole deal. And, and, and I think that we need to, we need to start have, giving a little bit of grace to parents um, and, and not just measure their kids by how compliant they're, not measure the parent always by how compliant the kid is. There's lots of good things going into it. There's temperament, there's personality, there's social, cultural things that are influencing them. And, and, um, and sometimes, um, sometimes we are a little simplistic and sometimes kids that are just afraid look like they're doing better than kids that aren't, and then they do blow up later on. And sometimes kids that weren't doing very well at some season end up turning around and being okay. And so, so just the, the issue for you as a parent is faithfulness. Um, I would love to, to take a step away from it. It's not that results don't matter. It's just that you don't know what the results are going to be for a long, long time. You just don't. I've sat on the other side of, I mean, I'm a, I'm a counselor, a psychologist. I, I've sat on the other side of, and I'll say, often say, well, well tell, me some, tell me about your family, and, and it'll be amazing what those people at 40 remember about what their dad told them when they were 15 and how that stuck with them because you are the tallest tree in the forest. Now, the reason I'm really impressed that y'all are here is most people don't like parenting things because you already feel so guilty. And most parenting things people don't come to anymore um, I, I wrote a book with somebody on parenting, and he, he thought it was going to be the next big book. And I said, it's not going to sell. He said, well, well no, it's, it's really going to be, oh, it's going to sell. I said, no, so parents feel guilty. You can sell parenting books to, you know, when babies are born, because everybody wants to do it right at first. But then after about a year, it's like, uh, you know, I don't want to read about another parenting thing. I feel pretty bad already. <laughs> And so the first thing I would suggest to you in terms of parenting is have an honest discussion with some people that watch you parent and have them help you understand which side of this continuum are you on. Are you too structure, rigid-oriented? If so, I think God would want to make, move you this way. Are you too... Um, not enough consequences, not enough structure... And I think God would want to move you this way. And so uh, make sure that you're not, one of the problems with the internet and the way that we're, a lot of us are getting our information anymore is we're getting our information in our news in an echo chamber. And so if you watch, for example, Fox News, and that's on your feed of Facebook, and then all your friends are also on that, and, and what you're doing is you're getting all your information kind of in an echo chamber, and it, all, it seems like it must be true, because everybody on here is saying the same thing. But if you were on CNBC's list and all your friends were, it would seem like, because everything would come back, because most of our information today is kind of echo chambery. And that's just not helpful for truth. 
And so you need to be careful that a lot that often happens with parenting. Uh, that, that a parenting that, that will go to parenting literature that, that really supports what we're doing as opposed to parenting literature that might challenge us and make us think about being... The kids are always asking those two questions and they're ultimately theological questions. Do you... Um, you know, will you provide structure? Will you provide nurture? Um, and... Uh, sometimes you'll find parents that try to make up for the other parent. Like um, you'll have one, one of the parents who's real, real structure-oriented, and the other parent kind of secretly sabotages that by being super, super nurturing. And then, and, and then that creates a kind of a crazy cycle in the family because then the person who's super structured sees the other one being real nurturing and say, well, somebody's got to put... Some Somebody's going to put some structure in this thing, and so they'll even take another step this way. And, when they, and what happens when, they, when the other partner sees them taking a step this way? They go that way, and then you've got just this kind of just crazy village family that is, the, the kids are, and the kids will just play the parents against each other in that setting because they're not on the same page. It's okay for one parent to be a little more structured, one person, parent to be a little more nurtured, but if, it, if, if, you're, if you're doing that to make up for the other parent, then it's going to get further and further apart. Does it make sense? And so you need to just be honest about yourself. Where do you tend to fall? Um, as a family, as a parent, where do you tend to fall? Because you are teaching your kids ultimately about God. Um, and, and, and let me say something that will probably bother a few of you, but, but just that's kind of my goal. You see... My goal was to come here for this weekend, create such heresy that Andrew has to spend the next six months cleaning up all of my little comments that I make during the seminar. And so then he's like, no, we really don't believe that here. No. <laughs> I think if you're going to err, err slightly on the side of grace. Why do I say that? Jesus's and Paul's theology is criticized for being too grace-based. And if my theology is going to be criticized, let it be criticized for the same reason Jesus' theology is criticized and Paul's theology is criticized. There's two grace-based. Now, if you just heard me say, let your kids do anything you want, I didn't say that. I just said, sometimes I don't know what to do. Sometimes as a parent, it just feels like just a goat rodeo that I just don't understand. I mean, what am I doing? How do I make this work? I don't think anything makes me feel more inadequate and also more humble and more alive than this the old idea of parenting. And, um, and so um, have, if, if, I'm, if you're going to have to, if you're going to just, if you're wrestling and, and you've got to fall off one side of that or the other, fall slightly off the side of grace, but not. And the reason I say that is I think it's easier to add nurture and, excuse me, it's easier to add structure later in life than it is to add love. If somebody doesn't believe they're ultimately nurtured and loved and valuable, that's harder to add later in life than some, you need to be more disciplined. Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean, but don't, please don't hear me saying that that means that I think you should have the, you know, a family that is so attachment-oriented that, that you know, th there's books out there that talk about having a family bed that we all sleep in the same bed until the, <laughs> until the kids are ready. It's like, you know, my... My kids would still be on our bed if, you know, you know they're in their 20s if, if we had to wait till they were ready. It's like, 
because they don't have to make up our bed. You know, they have to make up theirs. So it's like a, it seems like an easier way to go. Um, but, but there are parenting books out there that, you know, say that basically the kids are to be deciding everything. You know, man, the kids shouldn't be deciding everything. That's a lot of pressure to put on the kid to decide when they're ready to do everything. Um, so uh, just the first point I would want to make is that parenting is a theological just a theological issue, and that God's inviting you to tell your kids about his nature, and you want to make sure you're communicating that God is holy and righteous, there are consequences to behavior, there is structure, there is um, requirements, I will say no to you, because God will say no to you, there are consequences to our behavior, I mean, because that's true theologically. And they're asking, do you love me? Do I matter? And, um, and those are the questions that I think, the theological questions. Does that make sense? Um, if, you're, if you're tightening up a little bit in what I'm saying, then chances are you're one side or the other a little too far. If you're, if you're a little bit defensive, and as, as we're just sitting here talking, then chances are you're kind of in one of those further camps. Because if you're really into this super attachment parenting model, you're going to see me as, as damaging children because I'm, I'm not making them live in a nest of love. And if, you, if you're in the super authority group, you're thinking that I'm turning your kids into um, entitled um, selfish wolves. And, and, uh, and so what I want you to kind of, if, if, so if you're getting kind of tight as we talk about that, relax and say, maybe what is that saying about how you see things? And maybe I'm wrong. But at least consider asking some people in your world, hey, when you watch the way we interact with our kids, where do you think we fall? Are we too structured? Too nurtured? Uh, it's, it's just a great question to ask. Does that make sense? Because that's supposed to be a tension we're supposed to live in at all times with both of those things. I wouldn't ask young children that at all because they're, they're going to they're gonna almost always say, you're too structured. You're, you're, you're too much of me. Um, I think as, you, as kids get older, I think it's appropriate. To, what, what's our family like to you? We've been trying to communicate God as just and holy and righteous and that God is, uh, is, is gracious, kind, and, and loving. Um, where, where, how do you think our family lives in that? As opposed to letting, don't let them critique your parenting. That's just not a, but it is okay to say critique. What's the, what's the feel of the family like? Um, and, and it's just kind of an interesting, I think it's just an interesting thing that you want to do. Um, be careful to not put too much weight on, um, you know, we, we sometimes want to be very active parents, and we should be very active parents, be very curious about why kids do what they do. Um, try, try your best, I think Tripp does a pretty good job of this when he talks about shepherding the heart of a child, is that you want to do more than just control their behavior. So your teenage daughter is wearing something, a skirt too short to school, and you go, no kid of mine's going to go to, you know, go to school wearing that. Um, 
and you're right. But stop long enough to kind of to see what the heart of the child would be. Why would a, why would a 15-year-old girl want to wear that to school? Because she's a hussy? No, probably not. Because that's what everybody else is wearing. And people pay attention to her when she looks nice. And you can validate her longing. You long to be cared, you long to be noticed. That's appropriate. You long for people to, to you, you long to belong and to fit in. That's really appropriate. But this, but let's think of some better ways for you to fit in than to, to dress in a way that would make people think that you're a commodity. I mean, but so, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? That, that under, try to, try to listen for what's beneath the behavior, what the old Puritans would say, the sin beneath the sin. Try to, try to think about why they're doing what they're doing. Teenagers especially never have a clue of why they do what they do. They don't connect their heart and their head at all. And so one of your tasks as a parent of teenagers is to help them connect their hearts and their head. I was dealing with somebody who was anorexic not that long ago, and, and she had broken up with her boyfriend, or her boyfriend had broken up with her, and she'd struggled with food a lot more that week than she had before. Now, I happen to know that eating disorders are not about food. They're about control and relationships. And so I saw the connection. And so I wanted her to see the connection. I mean, you, it wasn't connected. Her heart and her head were not connected. I said, so, so do you think breaking up um, had anything to do with your, the, the food? No, I just it was just a bad week food-wise. Well, it sounds like it was a bad week relationally as well. I wonder if those are connected in any way. Well, I can't know. I just, I, just, I just was really struggling with my food and my body, and I wanted to, and I, I just felt so ugly all week. So, so you just randomly felt ugly this week, but you didn't feel ugly last week. No, no. And you broke up this week with your, you know, and it's like, come on, I mean, two plus two, let's put this one together. Um, but they don't tend to do that, and so you want to help them do that, but you won't do that if you only focus on behavior. And if I could just say one thing, one more thing about that is um, try to expand what you want to correct your kids to um, relational sin as well and, 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 as, and behavioral sin. <coughs> we tend to focus on behavioral sin, meaning did you cuss, did you... Uh, but the, the more damage is done to people by, by relational sin, harming another, gossiping, back, uh, betrayal... Kind of, kind of relational stuff. And, uh, and so kind of help kids. And quite frankly, one of the best things you can do as a parent is help kids relate well to each other. Um, and and that, that they're relational beings. That they, uh, one of the greatest skills you can give somebody, if any of you are in a position where you're hiring people, you know what I'm talking about. You just want to hire people that aren't going to cause trouble at work. I mean, I just want to hire people to get along with others. I mean, you know, we can, I had an employer once say to me that he, he goes, I can train people to do almost anything except get along with others. So I want to find people to get along with others, and then I'll train them how to, you know, to work in the business. I just, I'm exhausted by the people that I hire who are skilled but can't relate to others. It's a very important skill to try to you know, try to, to, it's a great skill for their future, um, connecting and relating. Does that make sense? Um, not, not that I, I think anybody would, um, 
would be all that uh, that interested. But um, um, if anybody is interested, um, I, I've got a couple of copies of this book. I, I'm not selling them. I, I'm, I'm just give you give them to you. Um, um, it's um, it's called Shaping Your Family Story, and a, a guy and I wrote it. Um, and it's it's not gr- a great book. Um, <laughs> um, he he he's he's a good guy. Um, he was the when when you hear where he, his background, you go and you all wrote a book together. He was the assistant editor for Charisma magazine. I'm at Reformed Theological Seminary. He's an Assemblies of God guy who called me, heard me speak on parenting, and said, hey, hey, we're on the same page. Would you, would you uh, edit a book for me? And I said, listen, thank you for calling, but um, um, I'm, I'm probably, I don't know that we're on the same page. What would you name your book? And he said, I'd name my book The Winning Parent. And I said, I can tell you we're not on the same page. Um, I'd probably name my book The Broken Parent. And so, thank you for calling. Have a good day. And he goes, no, no. God told me. You know, that's when you have have somebody tell you that. He goes, well, God hasn't told me, so have a nice day. But anyway, (laughs) um, it's a book on on parenting. If if any of you are interested in it, I've got four or five copies I brought with me. You're welcome to have them. Um, It's... um, uh, he, he thought, it's really, an, it's supposed to be an evangelistic book, kind of a Dave Ramsey book on, on, on budgeting that is clearly based on biblical principles but doesn't, but, but would be kind of marketed to a general population. Same idea, this was supposed to be a parenting book for anybody, that at the, that the end talks about the theme of the family story should be connecting with the divine, which then we present the gospel at the end of the book. Um, so it's not a, a verse by verse, how do you parent? But it, it, since you're Christians, you'll recognize the Christian aspect of it uh, the whole way through. But if you're interested, I've got a couple of copies. Be glad to give them to you because God knows they will not sell. So I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they, 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 the, uh, so anyway, if, if anybody's interested, I've got a couple of those. I know. I, well, he he was. It, it's it's not horrible, I guess. It just. Um, it's just putting a, putting a kind of a charismatic theology of that's results-oriented, where the kids, you know, the kids are going to turn out this way if you do this, and God owes you. With my theology, was, was like, it was just really very difficult um, to do. And so there's times where it feels like, um, you know, there's times where the book feels like it's kind of starting and stopping in the middle, and, and, and that's, that's true, so... But anyway, um, any questions or thoughts about anything? So, so far today, we've said parenting is a theological task because kids are asking a question about the nature of God. Is God um, authoritative and um, and is he just and righteous or is he gracious and merciful? And those are the same questions. Every kid is always asking those questions. Do you love me? Will you say no to me? And a good family is going to live in the balance of those two. And then I talked a little bit about uh, just if you're going to fall off which side and all that. So does anybody have any questions or thoughts? If not, I'll be glad to go over some other stuff. Um, 
Yeah, discipline is, is um, you know, discipline's a really interesting deal. You, you know what the research says on like, like something like spanking? Here's, here's just an interesting phenomenon. What's the research, the secular research say on spanking? Anybody know? They say, don't do it, it's horrible, it's the worst thing you can do, it's horrible. What's the Bible say? Beat the stew out of them. No, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does say that, you know, I think the point of spare the rod and spoil the child, the point is not beat children, because that's never appropriate. I think the idea is that we're supposed to be disciplining our kids. You, 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 our kids need to be disciplined. Um, so why would all the research say one thing and the Bible say another? And I'm going to give you a suggestion that I think might be helpful in, in our thinking about discipline. What's missing in the research is they don't look at the motivation of the parent. And so what happens is, I, I spanked some. I was not a, a big spanker with a, with a kid who's autistic. He didn't understand that very well. And so there was a way in which uh, that seemed to, to not be a very effective way. That doesn't give me a pass. I'm still supposed to discipline my kids, but that was not a particularly effective thing for, my, for Skylar. Um, and so we spank some in our family because I think the Bible does include that as one of the tools you can use to, to discipline. However, I'll be honest with you, I'll bet you a third of the time I spanked, I did it out of anger. And that's never appropriate. Discipline, the goal of discipline is not to make your kid pay. The goal of discipline is not, I'm so tired and you're, you're getting on my last nerve and it is, it's getting ugly up in here. I mean, that is not the goal of discipline. And so don't, don't make discipline a result of your frustration or anger. Because if it is, you'll end up on the side that, where all the research is saying, spanking's a bad thing. The reason it says that is that they didn't look at the motivation of the parent. They just said, families that spank, what's the outcome? And I think many of the families that spank a lot are, are angry and are doing it out of anger, not out of, dis, not out of the biblical idea of discipline. The biblical idea of discipline would be instruction. Not, um, I mean, my mother's favorite phrase growing up was, you're going to go upstairs and come down with a different attitude, <laughs> you know, and, and, and and rarely was that said because she wanted to instruct me. Um, usually that was said because I'd gotten on her last nerve and, 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 and we were, we'd crossed that line uh, from rational to, to something else. But, um, so, so, but I think discipline's a really, uh, dis- obviously, the Bible's clear we have to, we have to discipline our kids. Um, but, um, but please be aware that the, the, the best way to discipline your kid is not when you're angry or you're wanting to make them pay or because you've been inconvenienced. There's a whole movement out there and some Christian people that kind of think our kids shouldn't be inconvenient to us. And so, by golly, raise them in a way where they don't, they don't get in, you know, they don't make your life inconvenient. Love is always inconvenient. Love's supposed to be inconvenient. Loving somebody else is, is you know, um, you loving your spouse is inconvenient. Um, and I don't know that convenience or is, is the reason to, you know, you know I'm going to discipline you so that because you've, you've inconvenienced me. I think, but I think discipline, discipline is an, a, a tough call at times. You know, how do we, 
where do we do this? Have we done too much? When do we draw the line? Um, how do we... Um, but I think the, the rule of thumb would be to say, don't discipline out of anger. See, the, the wild thing is, we said this the other day in, in, in this little seminar, um, what, the ultimate goal is that my kids are born foolish, and I'm supposed to help them become wise. And foolish is my way is the best way. You're born with a sense that my way is the best way. And wisdom, uh, just a working definition of wisdom, would be God's way is the best way. And so one of my jobs is to help my kid move from when they're born to the world centers around me, and it's all about me um, and my story and my life, uh, that very selfish kind of world uh, that says my way is the best way, and I'm supposed to move them to a place where they believe God's way is the best way. The reason that is so hard for us is I'm still foolish myself. I still, I still presently, I mean, today, this very moment, wrestle with whose way is the best way, God or mine? And since I'm foolish, it's so difficult for me to move my kid past where I am. Um, and, and that's why parenting, I think, is hard, is that you're being asked to do something that you're still in process of doing yourself. I think most good parents that I know are very humble in the process. I, I, I don't think I listen to people who think they're expert parents anymore. Because I've talked to a lot of their kids in the counseling room. And, uh, and I've heard different. I'm more interested in talking to, to kids who come out of families where the parents humbly want to try to engage their kids for the glory of God to move toward wisdom. And that they know in the process of doing that that they, as a parent, have wrestled with that and are still wrestling with that. Um, two, two more just quick thoughts about parenting. Consistency is really a big deal. The reason a kid learns to walk is because gravity is consistent with them. You know, a toddler stands up and their big head, they fall over, and, and then they learn the next time they stand up to move their head back a little bit. And the reason that, I mean, it's true. And that the reason a kid learns to walk is that gravity is consistent. And you want to try to be consistent as possible, whenever possible. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean rigid, but it means consistent. Uh, so that the, the research on kids show that uh, there's a lot of pretty good kids who come from pretty squirrely homes that are consistently squirrely. <laughs> and the reason for that is that the kids are smart enough to go, okay. You know, dad's an alcoholic, but I, I know when he, I, I, I had a kid the other day in my office tell me, I knew when he pulled into the driveway, whether he was drunk or not, by the way the car hit the gravel coming in. And I thought, wow, to know that at eight years old. I mean, so the, but the kid, but the parent was consistently bad, and so the kid learned how to behave so that they could be successful because there was enough consistency. The research shows that the hardest places to grow up or when families are really super, like, you know, one day they love you, you're wonderful, you're great, we're the, you're the greatest person in the world, and the next day, you know, you're the worst kid in the world, and why do we ever have you? And the next day, I mean, it's that inconsistent parenting place that sometimes causes a lot of trouble with kids. So you want to try to be consistent. Be aware that you're going to make 50 decisions a day as a parent, and on your best day, five of those decisions will be wrong. And you just pray that those are not the big ones. 
I, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to take, I mean, I don't take parenting lightly. I think it's really important. But there's so many decisions you make every day, little ones just in the, in, in the fly. Should we do this? Oh, should we let them do this? Um, oh, they're going over here. Uh, yes, yeah, you can go. Um, I mean, there's so many decisions you make a day. And, and you're not going to make 100% right decisions because it's so dynamic and there's so much going on. Uh, the more kids you have, the more variables you have. Okay, we're, you know, they want to watch this TV show. Okay, we watch this TV show. It's a clean TV show. And then the commercials that were on it were horrible. And you go, um, what, what do we, you know, how do we do that? Um, you know, I, I don't want to sit through another Viagra commercial with my kids sitting here. I mean, is that, and that was on during the news. You know, what, what, what a weird world. I mean, there's so many questions that you're trying to wrestle with, you know? Um, you, you know what I mean? I mean, and, and then, then sometimes you feel like you're alone in this parenting journey because it's like, and it feels like the wind of culture is against you. And you almost want to, but you don't want to become that family that kind of moves up on the mountain and, and, you know, all their kids are dressed in, in you know, if this is one of your families, forgive me. <laughs> but, you know, all the kids are dressed kind of in, in, in you know, and, the, and all the girls look like school moms and, and all the guys look like, you know, they just are Amish. Uh, and and, the, and the, the kids are so, you know, and, and, they've, and they've never experienced anything, you know, and, the, and they, they turn 19 or 20 and they go off to, they go to a Christian college and it seems liberal, you know, and they go, what are we doing? <laughs> People are able to walk in, not in a single file line. How do we, how do we, and so you don't want to go that direction. You don't want to, we don't want to teach our kids that the gospel is a little bunny and the saber-toothed tiger of secularism is going to eat it. I mean, we want to teach that the gospel is the truth, the lion of Judah that is stronger than, than culture. And so that's, it's, it's such a tension how do I engage my kids to be strong enough to deal with culture but not create in them such a, a fear of engaging with anything or anybody that they, that, they, that they kind of live in a kind of a Christian bubble that then will blow up someday when they're just trying to get a job? I mean, it's just, a, it, it's just an incredible task. Uh, and, um, and, but it's an amazing task, and God's inviting you to be a part of that. So, um, but anyway, any other questions or thoughts? Um, I think I struggle with entrusting my own people to my wisdom and discipline and relationship. Um, I think trying to be relational to your child and teach them in relationship as opposed to teaching them, you know, being always the authoritarian in their life. you've got to be willing for your kids to not like you. Your kids don't need buddies. Um, <laughs> my, my son Pierce, just to tell you a kind of funny story. My son Pierce once, um, it, it, this, this is like not that long ago. Um, he said, uh, Dad, remember when you told me that girls don't like needy boys? I said, well, yes, son. I remember that lesson I gave you. <laughs> I taught you well, did I not? 
I said, and I said, and then I, then I kind of recanted the lesson and said something like, yes, son, women don't like needy men. Um, and he looked at me and he goes, well, kids don't like needy parents. <laughs> You're right, son. I'll talk to your mother about that. Um, but, um, but you're right. Kids, it's a, your kids need to respect you more than like you. You need to be an authority more than you need to be. Um, but, we, but you want the view of authority to be the view God has of authority. He is our authority, but he's not against us. He's not angry at us. He's not trying to trip us up. He is for us. God is for us. Um, the great cloud of witnesses are watching and, and cheering you on as you live and stumble through the Christian life. And so the, the idea of authority, God doesn't need, you know, um, God doesn't want me to be his, um, his buddy. Uh, he, you know, I'm his son, his beloved son, and, and we don't need to be our kids' buddies. But we can be, that doesn't mean, though, the authority we have on, there has to be an authority that, um, that they don't realize that you're for them. I think it's really important that you're for them. A parent loses their authority in a kid's life when the kid no longer believes that they can um, earn their parents' respect. Once a kid feels like they can't earn their parents' respect, the parents lose their authority because the kid doesn't, their longing, because they have a deep longing. God put in them a desire for their parents to, to want their parents to want to respect them and care for them. And if, and if, you're, if your kid ever gets to a place where they say, I, I am not capable of earning my parents' respect, they will take a, they'll take a dark turn. Well, I, and I just, I, and I've had this conversation with my, my own kids, um, and they'll say, I can't believe you don't trust me. And then a lot of parents will say, I do trust you, I just don't trust others. And I say, of course I don't trust you. I mean, um, I, I love you, but, um, but trust, the respect, I will give you no matter what. Love, I will give you no matter what. But trust is something that's earned by your behavior. And, and I'll be glad to have, there's, and, and, and you want to make sure as parents that we don't make the road back to being okay with us. The only entrance ramp on the, on the interstate is 20 miles away. And we want to make sure that, that you can get back on that road pretty quickly. But um, you've gotten off the road. And, um, and I, didn't, I didn't send you off the road, you did. You drove off the road. I mean, it's like when a, when a couple, one of them is... Has, has an affair, and they go, and she wants to look at my phone all the time? I mean, come on, I'm an adult. Well, no, you're a, you're a person who broke trust, and it's now your responsibility to try to fix the, the breach and the trust. And so, you know, you want to tell your kid, well, it's, I want to trust you. I want to trust you more than I want to do anything in the world. Uh, I don't think I'm an unreasonable man. 
Um, I mean, I, I'm just thinking of a conversation I had with Kim. Uh, I don't think I'm unreasonable. And I want to trust you. And, but, but you're the one that broke the trust, so you're going to need to be uh, working to kind of build that. And let me tell you some ways you can do that. Because I'd like us to get back to, to where that's not an issue. Um, and that's a great, I mean, and, and, then that, and, and it's funny, what our, what, our, what our kids will often say are things like, I can't believe you don't trust me. Other parents can let other kids do this. And, um, and you don't want to be snarky with them and say, well, I'm not other parents. Or, um, you know, you, you want to you just say, I, let's agree on something. Let's agree on something. I, I want to trust you and you want me to trust you. I, let's agree on that. I want that. We have the same goal. So let's figure out how to reach that goal. And make sure that there's some roadmaps back, you know, that they can get on. A lot of times with Christian parenting, once a kid messes up, they feel like they can't get back. They feel like it's kind of too late to, to get back. They, they're, they're detoured off the interstate so far. that, And you want to make sure, no, there's, there's, there's entering trance pretty quick. There's consequences to behavior. Whenever possible, use consequences for behavior instead of just mere punishment for the sake of punishment. Because that's how the world works. If I'd not shown up this week, I wouldn't have gotten paid. I mean, if I if, if, if called Andrew on Friday and said, listen, the weather's great here in Orlando. <laughs> Mona and I are going to the beach. I know I said I'd come up. But it just, it just would be better for us. You know, he, he wouldn't have said, oh, listen, I understand. Let me, let me go ahead and send you that, that check for the honorarium. Uh, maybe you can use that for souvenirs on the beach. You know, he'd have said, there's a consequence to our behavior. And it's a, but like um, Skylar, our son who's autistic, um, he was locking his door at night. And he can't lock his door because he has seizures. We have to be able to get in if we have a seizure. But because of his autism, he loves things. He loves to feel closed in and, and safe. Uh, he locks all of our outside doors every night. Obsessively, compulsively, we'll lock all their doors. And it's like, oh, Skylar's going to bed. He's locking the doors of our house. Um, um, because that makes him feel safe. And so he started locking the door of his room. Um, it's understandable. It's not, it's not crazy. It's not, um, but I said, you can't do that. Continue to lock it. And so what's the consequence to that? Um, I, I said, son, if you continue to lock the door, I'll take the doorknob off. And the next time, it, because that seems like a consequence. You misuse the lock, you don't get a lock. Um, and so the next time it happened, I didn't scream and say, I told you to not lock the door. What if you have a seizure in there? I, I, I just, I, I got my tools and, and started, he goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm taking off your doorknob. He goes, why? Why? And I said, well, son, we said you couldn't lock it and you're locking it. So we're just going to take it off for a while. And, you know, the next day he has a, a T-shirt in there. For the door, the little door thing, and he's pulling that, using that to shut the door, and which is fine, it wouldn't lock. And you know, a couple of days later, he said, "When can I have my doorknob back?" And I said, "Well, Sonny, you just can't lock the door." And I don't know, maybe it was two weeks, I, but 
that's a consequence as opposed to, well, we're, we're taking all your toys or we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to put you outside in a tent. I mean, you know, it was like, it was like, it was a consequence, you know, and that's just a better way to go when possible. And sometimes that's not possible. But that is, how the, that's how, that is how the world works. The world works with consequences, and that's just kind of the better way to go. Oh, yeah. Such a way that once the trust is broken, yours is comfort. So any, any help for us with that? Boy, what a great question, and I'm going to be of very little help to you. Um, I, think, um, I think parenting is harder the older your kids get, which sounds so counterintuitive. I thought, you know, when I was cleaning up diapers... I was going to have diapers. I thought, well, I can't ever get any worse than this. I mean, you know, I've got poop everywhere, and, and you know, and it can't get any worse than this. But I had complete control. Yeah, I had complete control. Um, now, uh, with Kim, uh, lives in Tampa, went to school at UF. Um, Pierce has a, lives with three Christian guys about an hour, about um, um, 10 minutes from our house. And I know they do things that I don't approve of uh, at times. And it drives me crazy. Um, but I don't have, you know, it, it's, I think it's a harder time to parent those, those kids because you don't have as much, uh, much control. But I think you, there is a point, as kids get older, you do have to let them make decisions. Um, one of the problems with Christian families often that happen is that they were so strict with their kids until they, then they, then then all of a sudden they go off and live in a dorm where nobody is telling them anything. I mean, there is almost no adult supervision in a university setting from noon on Friday till seven o'clock on Monday morning, almost none. I mean, almost no adult supervision with a C of 19 to 21 year olds. And... At that point, if your kid doesn't have some sense of compass of who they are and what they are, you're, you're not, you, there's not a lot you can do because there's, a, there's a, um, you know, you can continue to give them guidance and that sort of stuff, but it is, it is um, but so what happens sometimes is that Christian parents have been so strict, and I think we should be strict, I don't mean we should be, li- but have not had any, the kids have not been involved in the conversation about discipline. The kids haven't been involved in the conversation about rules. The kids, as they became age appropriate, were not given some choices. And so all of a sudden, now they're, they're 19 years old, 
and there's nothing, there's no boundary around them whatsoever other than uh, the, the shadow of your voice from a while back. And it's very difficult because they've never, they've never been given any of that. And so there is a, and it's one of the hardest things to do, there is a letting go process that, that I think should involve consequences and structure kids. You, you, they should be things like paying for their cell phone, uh, that sort of stuff. They should be, uh, you know, there should be um, becoming more and more responsible as they get older. Um, but it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy at all. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? You make your teenage Yeah, if you want to, your respect. If if my if if your kid believes that there's nothing I can do to gain your respect back, especially for a boy, respect for a girl. Sometimes it's delight that you would delight in me, that you would love me. I can't do anything to get your delight. I can't do anything to get your respect. Then you've lost your your authority over them in their minds because it's like, what's the use? I'm going to go shop and get those questions of, am I loved? Am I significant? Answered somewhere else. I think it's, it's amazing what you think about parenting. Um, God, the, God the Father only spoke out loud three times in the New Testament. Um, my charismatic friends say he talks all the time. Maybe he does. But the God the Father only spoke three times in the, the entire New Testament. And all three times, Mount of Transfiguration, baptism, and to the Greeks, all three times he was validating his son. All three times the father was saying, that's my son, listen to him. That's my son, listen to him. You're my beloved. So all three voices that you hear out loud, and Jesus didn't need, but, but all three voices that you hear out loud from the father recorded in the New Testament are validating comments from a father to a son. I think that's significant. And so when a, when a kid no longer believes that they, there's a way to gain validation or respect or specialness from their family, they will go somewhere to find that. How do you turn that around? Um, hmm. Um... um I think um, the look in your eyes as you ask the question says you want to be that kind of man that turns that around. Um, and um, I respect that. I, I think it might start, depending on how old the kid is, with, I wish I'd done a better job of communicating this to you. You can still, you can still earn my respect. I still believe in you and I'm still for you. And I... And, um, and I don't know that I've done a good job of communicating that to you anymore because I've, I've become so frustrated with some of your behaviors. Yeah, now, don't expect them to then turn around and say, well, great, thanks, Dad. Um, but, um, but I think that sometimes, I remember one time um, my, my son Pierce, we were riding together and he said, uh, he probably uh, six years ago, seven years ago now, he's in high school and he says, Hey, Dad, do you think I'd be a good astronaut? 
And my comment, I thought, well, this is a great time to use shame. And so I said, uh, if you want to be a good astronaut, son, you better do better math and science. Because you're smart, but you don't work very hard in, in your math and science. And they won't just take anybody. Uh, you better, you know, if you want to be an astronaut. And I looked over and his shoulders dropped. And it was like, and you could, you could just see it. And I, and, I, and I thought I was doing a good job as a parent at that moment. I remember driving away going, <laughs> good teaching moment. <laughs> um, um, and then I thought about it. And I thought of the look in his face. I saw his shoulders drop. And so a couple of days later, we were riding together again. And I said, hey, remember when you asked about being an astronaut? He said, yeah, I remember. So you remember what I said? His shoulders dropped. He said, yeah. You said I need to do better math and science, and, and I heard you. And so I just want to tell you I was wrong. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, <gasps> you know, you know his, after the heart attack, he said, uh, what? I said, I was just wrong. They'd be lucky to have you. Now, he does need to do better in math and science. But he needed at that moment not a math lesson. He needed to hear his father say, You've got what it takes, son. You've got what it takes. Because most men I know are still living for the validation that they never got from their father. And and he needed to hear that. He needed to hear his dad say, now I I did go on and, you know, remind him that math and science is pretty helpful to be an astronaut. (laughs) But... But what he primarily needed to hear first was, son, you've got the goods. You've got what it takes. Because he doesn't believe that. When God the Father speaks out loud to Jesus, it's around validation and vision. Um, and and, I, and I'm, I'm supposed to provide that for my son and daughter as well. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the hardest thing about, I think homeschooling is wonderful. The hardest thing about homeschooling is there's some kids who have a hard time with the hat change from mother to teacher. And that's hard for some kids. And for some kids, homeschooling, well, that, that, that's where they won't do as well. Um, but, um, and so, you know, I think some of the, some of the things is you probably want to make sure that, and I know you probably do this already, but that the school time is very separated out. That, and so, so it's not like we're doing life, we're doing life, and oh, by the way, do your math now, and I'm doing this, and they say, hey, let me look it over. Oh, and I was just, we were just making cookies, or we were just doing this, we were just doing family, and oh, what's, you did your math wrong. You want to make sure, because it's harder for kids to sometimes separate mom as mother, mom as teacher, and so you need to help them with that. Make sure that, you've, that you make, make sure that you kind of differentiate that as best you can. Now, that's hard. Because sometimes it's like, yeah, yeah, that's I'll do that in the perfect world where Tinkerbell lives. I mean, you know, uh, but but that's just a better, you know, as much as you can do that. That's a good. That's a good plan. 
Um, I'll tell you a, a quick, the, the story of validation as for men, uh, for, for women, validation is important too, but, but there's also a sense of, of specialness. We, we um, at our church, they have a father-daughter, a daughter-daddy dance. And we didn't get Kim until she was 15. And the daughter-daddy dance is really for, for girls that are like eight or nine. And uh, so she's getting married in December. And so this last May, they were advertising the daughter-daddy dance and she was home for the weekend. And I, I said, Kim, um, we'll be the creepiest two people there. But you weren't in our family when it was time to take you to the daughter-daddy dance, and you've never experienced that. And before you start a family, if you'd want to, I'd be honored to take you. And she just started. And I thought I, thought I would get credit but not have to go. You know one of those things? <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought... I thought Mona would say, oh, Jim, that was so nice. And she would say, oh, that's great. But then they didn't want to go because, I, I mean, how creepy, you know, some <laughs> old guy and his 23-year-old daughter at the, you know, everybody else dressed in princesses and stuff. And she, she goes, oh, I'd love to go. And so we, we went, and she went and bought a tiara, whatever the other thing. And Mona and her got some dress and... And we took her, and it was the most embarrassing <laughs> three hours of my life. Um, but what she experienced was what a daughter wants to hear from her father, which is, you're special. I, I delight in you. And if, if we don't answer the questions to our sons, do you have what it takes, and to our daughters that they're special, they'll shop those questions to other people. They'll shop it to, to other things. So... Anyway, um, you guys, it's been a pleasure this weekend being here at the church. Uh, y'all are good-hearted people. Parenting is a, is a dance of terror and privilege. And, uh, and, I, and I just, um, I'm just glad that you're working together with that. Um, so, thanks. I, I think we're, we're, we're supposed to be done, we're so. Done. All right, guys, thank you. Worship starts in probably 20 minutes. Thank <laughs> you.